politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property, and all that matters here at CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today. Brand new week. It is Monday, January 30th. Glad to be back. Sorry for that long weekend. I know a lot of you uh, are addicted to the truth, as you should be. But I took a little bit of a weekend off. Rented a place in southwest Pennsylvania in the mountains, and the kids really didn't want to leave. They loved the fresh air, the beautiful scenery, and they loved the F. Biden signs that they got to see on the way. And I was thinking, as I traveled just a couple hours outside of my blue oasis to this red part of America, even though the state government is terrible, I was really wondering... Are things that different? Yes, there's less crime. It's naturally nicer. And yes, you have the F. Biden signs. But policy-wise, how much did these areas actually differ? You have the dependency on the federal government, thanks to phony Republicans running these areas. And this is even a red area in a red state, much less where I was, let's say, a red county in a blue state. This is an area all over the place. I go and I see windmills and solar panels. Because our own people never really stand up to it. And I remember during the height of the lockdown when we tried to go away somewhere and we figured, oh man, we could get away from this stuff. The masking, there's no way they put up with that in a rural area. And I was really disappointed to find that other than maybe in the smallest of stores in the most rural areas, it was just as bad. And then that was obviously in 2020, even into 2021, to a certain extent. And that is because we fail to have an agenda. We fail to focus. Perfectly embodying this. And I want to get to some of the news over this long weekend. I was out Friday the Thursday uh, FDA advisory meeting, all the genocide that is now being admitted by Pfizer, admitted by the FB, FDA, likely 7.5 or so million people around the world died so far from the shots. And this is the opening bid. But anyway, there's a story I want to read to you before we get started. Fox News, third grader victorious after battle of school over Jesus loves me mask. Third grader Lydia Booth said it was sad and confusing when her Mississippi, Mississippi school district told her, now probably you you, you think I'm going to complete the sentence saying, when her Mississippi school district told her she had to wear a mask to function as a human being in her own school. No. Told her she couldn't wear a face mask with the words, Jesus loves me on it. Lydia's mom, Jennifer, said she was equally confused when Lydia told her what had happened. I was looking around and all these kids had words all over their masks. School district has since rescinded the policy which restricted face masks with political or religious speech. She was defended by Alliance Defending Freedom, ADF. And basically, she won. 
we are all so happy that now you could wear a mask with a Christian symbol or a conservative symbol, um, just like the left could wear a mask with their I love Fauci. But those of you who know the way I think, you already know where we're headed with this. How the hell is it that in a state like Mississippi, you have these kids that weren't befuddled and the parents that weren't befuddled that they had to freaking wear a diaper, that they criminalized the breathing of a human being. A young child would have to sit in the Mississippi heat and humidity for eight hours a day wearing that filthy bacteria trap. And that wasn't the problem. It was the message wasn't applied equally in terms of what they could put on the mask. I'll wear a mask. I'll be a sheep to the federal government, to Pfizer, to the genocidal Joseph Mangalas. But just let me write Jesus on the mask. That, my friends, embodies red state America and the problem with it. You take fascism, put a Jesus symbol on it, put an anti-abortion slogan on it, put a pro-gun slogan on it. And that's it. And, and, and that's my point. We let this happen. The, we have to look inwards. The problem is with ourselves. We tolerate the tyranny. We just put our own flavor on it. A terrific uh, email sent to me by longtime listener Fred. He says this. I just got through the latest podcast and then read an article about Nicole Hannah-Jones the con artist behind the 1619 Project and how much money she gets paid. Amateurs talk tactics. Professionals talk logistics. The left pays full-time activists to organize and activate, some directly like Hannah Jones, others indirectly like teachers' unions. The transhumanist Fourth Reich pays their propagandists and hatchetmen very well, private jet level level well. You'll usually get more of what you fund or pay for. The enemy pays for activists, agitators, organizes propaganda, and hits on their enemies. On our side, no one is paid at all except pundits, lobbyists, campaign, and media consultants, and think tank wonks. So what do we get more of? Podcasts, pork omnibus bills, direct mail, and TV ads for rhinos, and white papers about flat tax. <laughs> the only real soldiers on our side are part-time activists who either have very limited time and day jobs, they have to constantly worry about losing by getting doxxed or outed and canceled by an employer or retired people who have a dearth of vigor, creativity, and willingness to throw sharp elbows. An army without the beans and the bullets can win a few battles, but they will always pay dearly for them in casualties, and they will never win the war. And, I mean, that really hurts, Fred. But, boy, is that the email of the week. It is so true. Because we don't have leadership, most people will follow, whether it's red or blue, you have 10% on each end of the spectrum that are set in their views. The middle 80, I would say, and certainly middle 60, they'll kind of go anywhere. You could lead people to focus on whatever they want. So they'll understand a, a billboard outside in a rural area that says F Biden. But policy-wise, they'll go along with most of what the left is doing. You'll have the masking in those areas, the vaccine drives in those areas, the welfare in those areas, and then you'll have the wind and solar farms, and we won't have a movement to push back. Our shareholders in those areas and leaders who are supposed to represent us need to get focused. And this is what we're trying to do with ConAction. Again, we have teams in Alabama, South Carolina, West Virginia, Iowa, North Dakota, Alaska, Florida, 
We're trying to grow our teams so you could sign up to focus on the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter. Uh, we talked about a lot of a lot about this last week. I want to get to this again later this week. But folks, we now have the FDA just granted Moderna breakthrough designation. You might not have heard this breakthrough designation to expedite the review of its mRNA. RSV vaccine for adults 60 years or older. So they're going to start first with the seniors and then they'll move to probably the infants. Are we going to have to wait another two years for millions to die before we can begin focusing on this? How in the world, how in the world are we not focused on this? This is why it's so important for every state to ban mRNA shots. And Congress, finally this week, yes, they are going to vote to end the emergency in the House. They are going to vote to end the CMS mandate. But it's like, it's always a day late, a dollar short. When we're like two years late and uh, $2 trillion worth of GOP-supported COVID funding short. It's like, really? I mean, that should have been HR1. We should be on to the injury Okay, the FDA themselves, CDC themselves are admitting it. It's over. I have an estimate out today that I believe somewhere in the ballpark of 7.5 million people died from the shot, more than in the Holocaust. And this is not just a random thing that was left on the market. This was the thing that was pushed, promoted, and mandated by a government, corporate, cultural, media structure like nothing since Adam and Eve. And it killed more people than almost anything ever. And that's the short-term opening bid, and the long-term don't look good. And they have more than a dozen of these lined up, expedited review for RSV, and where is the movement to block this? I know we're going to be right, just like I knew in March... 2020, we'd be right about the lockdowns and the mask. But before it's too late, that's when I want to be right. It's unbelievable. And Pfizer, in their response to Project Veritas in their video, they admitted that they're still engineering new versions of SARS-CoV-2 and encouraging more resistant strains to evolve in living cells. They just basically said that the government forces them to do it. Which, again, it's not just Pfizer. It's one big happy family. Pfizer, Moderna, HHS, and certainly DARPA and others working together to promote this. Where, I ask you, is the movement to fight this? Well, the same place that the movement to fight all the fiscal and social problems we had for the last few decades that have engulfed us. And now people are focused on it after it's too late. Like, it took the spread of transgenderism to 20% of Gen Z to finally start banning the worst forms of castration in, in states. We banned in, like, seven states so far. Finally, finally, we broke through. So with medical freedom, we're about where we were with the trendy stuff in the state legislatures two years ago. But why, for once, cannot, can we, do we have to... You know, can, can't we get ahead of the issue? Why do we always have to react? Why can't we bend the RSV shot before it's out? Gee, it just killed 7.5 million people. What, so we have to wait until the next MRA does the same thing? Unbelievable. 
So I want to get into some of that, and then I want to talk about liability and what we can do to fight Pfizer, Moderna, the biomedical security state with the best lawyer, really the best lawyer in, in, in the freedom movement, medical freedom movement, that is. First, our sponsor today is Patriot Mobile. Folks, you know, it's the same thing. You know, we, we what? So you put Jesus on your T-Mobile phone and, phone and somehow that, that matters? Uh, stop using those who hate you. Stop funding those who fund projects that will destroy our life, liberty, and property. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless network. They give you the same good service. You could switch. It's never been easier to switch, actually. Um, they they have a performance guarantee. If you're not happy with your coverage, you could switch back to AT&T or T-Mobile. Um, for now, this New Year's resolve to stop supporting companies that don't align with your values. Go to patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 878-PATRIOT. Use offer code CR for free activation and you'll actually pleasantly be surprised. You'll speak to an American English-speaking uh, customer service agent on the line. Always call 878-PATRIOT, patriotmobile.com slash CR. Again, CR free activation. Now is the time to make the switch. So I want to play a clip for you. Very important clip. From CDC Deputy Director Tom Shimabukuro at the FBA's FDA's VRBPAC, whatever that advisory committee meeting on Thursday. There's a lot to unpack there, but I want to play this clip. Take a listen right here. We we take vaccine safety um, very seriously. Uh, with with respect to um, reports of people experiencing um, debilitating illnesses. Um, I mean, we, we, are, we are aware of these um, reports of, of people experiencing long-lasting health problems following COVID vaccination. Uh, in some cases, the clinical presentation of people suffering these health problems is variable, and no specific medical cause for the symptoms have been found. Um, we understand that illnesses disruptive and stressful, especially under those circumstances. And we acknowledge these health problems have substantially impacted the quality of life for people and have also affected those around them. And we hope uh, for improvement and recovery. And we will continue to monitor the safety of these vaccines and, and work with partners to try to better understand these types of adverse events. Okay. So, he basically gives a mea culpa without giving a mea culpa. That we're aware of these reports of people having long-lasting effects. We know it's very hard on your life. And that's it. Wait, wait. So you just admitted that the thing that you mandated on all healthcare workers, that you recommended a mandate in the States on everyone, that you distributed, marketed, funded with the force of nothing since the beginning of times, and you've known this for quite some time. You've known this from day one with VSafe and VAERS. And that's just what we've revealed publicly. You knew this. And you're totally fine. They're not even ending it. And in fact, what they're doing, see, it sounds like a downgrade. You know what? We're kind of done with the pandemic. This is endemic, not, not a pandemic. 
So therefore, we're going to switch to once a year. That's actually worse. See, under the guise of getting a shot for a pandemic, most people are done with. No one's going to do it because they're, they're done with it. You know, this is ridiculous. But once you make it like an annual flu shot, it becomes part of a schedule. And people don't think about a schedule because it's on the schedule. Hence, the child immunization schedule. No one asks, hey, are all these created equal? Are all of them needed? Are all of them safe? Are all of them effective? What will they do to me? Most of us never ask that question. And that's what they're going to do. So they're continuing this even before we get to RSV. It's truly unreal. But this, this is continuing. And that's my question. Are we going to wait another two years for millions more to die? And I want to get to that number. So I want to show you how on target some of the estimates we've been giving are. There's this Michigan State survey that came out. We talked about it last week. As of December 18th, they estimate, December 18th, 2021, first year of the shot, they estimate 278,000 Americans died from the jab. It's published in BMC Infectious Diseases. They used Dynata, the world's largest first-party data platform. It was a random sample of almost 3,000 Americans. 15% of them self-reported as having experienced health issues. 13% of those indicated they had severe adverse events. And basically, they estimate that 278,000 people died the first year. Um, about... 1 million had had uh, severe adverse events, and then another 2.1 million less severe, however they define that, for a total of 3.4 million dead and injured. First year. First year. So I, I thought to myself, wait a minute. Let me figure out how many doses were given by that date, that first year, you know, up until December 18, 2021, in the U.S., and come up with a ratio of deaths per doses. And if you look in our world in data, that's where I went. There's a couple of places you could track this. 493 million doses were administered by that time, the time they took this survey. So if 493 million doses were enough to kill 278,000 Americans, I said to myself, well, wait a minute. How many would have died at that same rate globally from beginning until today. Let's get a full number. Let's get let's get the everywhere. All countries. And not just the first year, but first two and change until now. So if you look now, there's about total of 13.24 billion doses administered globally. If you simply extrapolate, do the math, that's 7.47 million vaccine fatalities, assuming the rate of deaths would be uniform across all types of shots countries, and yada, yada, which you can't, can never assume exactly, and that's not the point of this exercise, but that is utterly insane. So it would come out to be about 7.5 million deaths and about 27 million severe injuries globally. So if you remember, some of you might remember this automatically. I did this two months ago before the Michigan State study. I did something even better 
I um, estimated based on CDC's VSAFE and theirs. So VSAFE is the 10.8 million people who returned back on the app to CDC and said, hey, I was injured. And if you look at, so, so what, what happened was, there's a number in there of how many people on VSAFE filed a VAERS entry. So we have a numerator and a denominator from CDC itself. We're always wondering, VAERS is, 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 the numbers are insane, but we know that they're woefully underreported because, you know, almost everyone does not file, very few people file VAERS entries. I'm sure most of you who know people who are injured, you know, know very few people who actually filed an entry. So we're always trying to figure out what is that underreporting factor. So it comes out from that VSAFE data, it's 26. Because 126 of that universe went and filed, you know, of the whatever it was, 10.8 million, filed VAERS entries. Now, if anything, that sample size from CDC would be more likely, more bullish about filing than everyone else because these are people who self-selected to volunteer for vSafe to report. So they report on the vSafe app. It's it's very logical that the universe of people who signed up for vSafe as opposed to the universe who didn't would be more likely to also, if they were injured, to file a various report. And yet even among that population, it was just one to you know a, a factor of 26 to one who did not. So I did the math. I said, wait a minute. What happens if I take all the injuries? What happens if we take all the injuries of invaders and we multiply it by 26 to give a rough crude estimate as to how many people actually died and were injured by the shots? Okay, I mean, that's that's a legitimate... Definitely a legitimate uh, way of doing things. Again, these are back of the envelope, but even if you're off a few million, this is insane. And what we came out with at the time was 7.85 million global deaths. 7.85 million. So it's a slightly more than the 7.5 that would, would come out from the extrapolation of the Michigan State University death estimate for the U.S. in the first year. Okay? So I estimated 7.85. This would come out 7.5. But we're, we're sitting and splitting hairs. Let's say it's 6 million. Okay? That is... I, I, I can't believe we're even talking about this. And they admit it. It's all out in the open. And the shots still haven't stopped. We still have to struggle in all these freaking red states to even end the mandates, much less recommend against them. We only have one state so far doing that. No other state seems to be moving in that direction. And then there's zero movement to stopping the the RSV genocide. How is it that we're comatose on this? I don't understand. So we estimated at the time that in the U.S. alone there would have been 1.8 million hospitalizations, 2.7 million urgent care visits, 4.5 million doctor's visits, 
61,000 anaphylaxis, 154,000 Bell's palsies, 57,000 miscarriages, 161,000 heart attacks, 237,000 myocarditis, 205,000 shingles, and 350,000 life-threatening injuries. But, folks, here's the deal. If anything, the estimates are probably more than the extrapolation of the Michigan State University study of $7.5 billion that we're honing in on. Because remember, it does seem like deaths are accelerating the second year than the first year for two reasons. Number one, you're starting to actualize the long-term effects. But number two, the second year is much more loaded with dose dependency. Meaning the first year, yeah, they, they estimated, uh, they, they took the survey up until December. So you did have a couple months there at the end that roped in boosters. But 2022 is almost entirely boosters, not the original scheme you know you have a certain amount because of the mandates and whatever but very few people who didn't get it originally were going to get it then except for the mandates so there you start getting into dose dependency there's also a lot of theories that the deaths really started accelerating later in 2021 because of the change in the buffer because a lot of people likely got um you know expired shots because of the temperature so you know, that's the thing. If they're saying, for example, if, if they say 278,000 in the U.S. by December 18, 2021, that would work out to be, I don't have it in front of me, but something like 372,000 now. But, you know, you look at other estimates and they estimate more like, you know, 450 to 500,000 ethical skeptic. But that might actually work with this and be on target because qualitatively the second year might be a lot worse because a lot of those, not all doses are equal. In other words, you can't say, well, you know, the first uh, 500 million doses killed X number. Well, the second 500 million will kill the same amount. It likely will kill more because most of those second 500 million are, guess what? People getting their third, fourth, fifth boosters, especially those seniors, just clearing people out. And then also the long-term effects are likely to, you know, beginning to factor in. So it is very likely in the U.S. we're up to 500,000 deaths. And globally we're up to, who knows, over 10 million, um, 10 to 15 million. Who knows? This is utterly insane. Where is the movement to stop this? So, folks, we are in uncharted waters. What do you do when you are in a situation like we think where 7.5 million deaths globally into this, just as an estimate? And this is the opening bid. And this is this shot is the opening bid of mRNA. And they're coming down with two more this year and many more in the pipeline. As you well know, I've put out several dozen medical freedom ideas. We're pitching them frantically in as many states as we can. Um, but at a federal level, really the most important thing, the one force multiplying factor is liability because they can only operate in darkness. They can only operate without that judicial discovery that would expose everything they're doing. And everything we know now, imagine if we knew that at the time. Do we now have to embark on the same process of waiting two more years of deaths and injuries before we could even begin inveighing against the RSV shot? Or will we learn our lessons? Now, with us today 
is a special guest. You know, if you view Ryan Cole, Peter McCullough, and others as the hero doctors of this movement, the hero lawyer is really Aaron Siri. He's a civil rights attorney, managing partner of Siri and Gilmstead. He has been focused on this before it was cool. Everything you want to know about this came from him. You know, the 75 years worth of information the FDA was going to hide, that Pfizer document we keep citing, the confidential document with eight pages of over a thousand maladies. They knew about 1,200 deaths uh, within the first 90 days. That came from him. The vSafe data that we just used to calculate the underreporting factor in VAERS came from him. Um, so he has been all over this with a lot of lawsuits. Imagine what he can do with a level playing field if Pfizer would be like Toyota. So with us to discuss this and so much more on the docket is Aaron himself. Hey, Aaron, thanks so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Good morning. Yeah, it's been way too long. And and folks, you could follow on Twitter at Aaron Siri SG. On Twitter, he has a great substack as well. It's a must-read if you're going to follow this issue. So, Aaron, you know, obviously, we had you on a long time ago, and we are lamenting the fact that um, Pfizer and Moderna are all exempt from any liability for negligence, and the only loophole was willful misconduct, but that's so hard to prove. So, before we talk about what should happen in the world we live in, the legal framework we have now. Has it changed at all, given everything we know that they knew about the extent of injury, negative efficacy, immune imprinting? We can go on and on what we have documented they knew. So, Aaron, do we have a case for willful misconduct? Uh, well, the, I think that to answer that, I first need to explain that you can't just sue a uh, Pfizer or Moderna for willful misconduct with regards to their COVID-19 vaccine, because the way the PrEP Act works is even if you believe you have the evidence for a willful misconduct claim, you cannot bring it unless the Department of Justice or effectively the enforcement arm of HHS brings that claim first or declines to bring such claim against the, uh, the pharmaceutical, against Pfizer or Moderna. And our federal government, which has been wildly promoting and touting this product, is very unlikely to turn around and say, oh yeah, you know those companies we partnered with, we told you their vaccine was totally safe, we told everybody in America to get it, uh, oops, the company actually is engaged in pretty bad conduct and we, we're just catching it now. So having the evidence uh, is still not sufficient. You need the federal government to first um, um, uh, actually effectively assert the claim for misconduct. I actually wrote a, a substack on this well over a year ago. I think the substack was entitled, the article was entitled, uh, pharma, you know, COVID-19 manufacturers can harm you with impunity because they effectively can. Uh, for all intents and purposes, unless the Department of Justice acts to go after them for the willful misconduct, um, there's pretty much there's, um, the Will Prep Act shields them from civil attorneys, you know, private attorneys being able to do so. So, you know, I've been talking about Michigan State University extrapolating their numbers. They estimate 278,000 COVID vaccine deaths as of the first year. 
if you uh, extrapolate the doses in in the U.S. per globally per that period of time, and then do it until now, it would come out to be 7.5 million globally. So you know we're thinking like, man, you would think you'd lie low for a little bit, but no, they'll just come out with the RSV shot, expedited approval. Um, the FDA just granted them expedited review. You're basically saying they don't fear anything, and why should they? Because they could just keep doing this. <laughs> yes. Uh, unfortunately, we have a system that works pretty well to assure consumer products are made safer. Um, it's market forces. You mentioned earlier Toyota. Cars. Why are they safer? Not because of the altruism of the companies that sell them, but because they don't want to get sued. They're, they're companies, they're for-profit corporations, and they have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders to maximize shareholder profit and value. If they didn't do that, they'd actually be in a lot of trouble. And so they don't want to get sued for billions of dollars. If their gas tank blows up, they, they want to fix that, and they want to fix that prospectively, um, no matter, you know, because the, the, the liability or the potential liability might be too great. But tell them that they can sell their product and they never have to be liable. In fact, they would probably violate their duty to their shareholders if they spent money fixing an issue that would not cause their company financial harm. And that is the state of affairs we have found ourselves in when it comes to not only the COVID vaccine, but actually all vaccines pretty much. Because while the COVID vaccine has immunity under the PrEP Act, childhood vaccines starting in 1986 when there were only three routine childhood vaccines and the liability from the harms they were causing was so great that the last manufacturer of each was gonna go out of business, Congress in its wisdom and let of, instead of letting the market forces force them to make a better and a safer product, instead gave them immunity to liability so they can keep selling their harmful products. And not only do they give immunity for the products, those three routine vaccines, but for any childhood vaccine that was put on the market thereafter. And that immunity not only applies if it's given to children, but also to adults. So flu shots given to children and the immunity then extends when it's given to adults. Mm -hmm. That is the original sin. That is the genesis of the issue when it comes to these. There is no other product on the market that has the form of immunity that, that the vaccines have. And when people think of COVID vaccine, COVID vaccines and the entire policy economic structure that they fell into didn't, wasn't created during the COVID pandemic. It was uh, a well, uh, it, it was a well developed. Uh, they just slotted right into the way business is done as normal with other vaccines. So is it correct to assert that Basically, if you want to handle this issue, if you want to rectify what has occurred the last couple of years, and really you've been dealing with this before it was cool, and I want to get into some of these other shots, but repealing the NCVIA and the PrEP Act are probably the most important legislative agenda items. Um, yes, there's two things that you need to do, and, and that's absolutely correct, because that will fix two problems in one fell swoop. Again, how do we make sure consumer products are safe in this country? We rely on two things. One, and primarily, we rely on product liability and class action attorneys. Think about it. When a company is selling a product, they're out there telling the world it's amazing. They're doing ads. Think about car commercials, PR campaigns. They're trying to convince you this car is amazing. This car is great. You should buy it. Well, what is the news cycle that then happens that makes you go, ooh, maybe there's a problem with the car? 
The news cycle that happens is brought is when there's a lawsuit. That is what pushback, not only from a PR perspective, not only from the you know hearts and minds of the public perspective, but also in the nuts and bolts of, of changing company corporate conduct because they don't want the liability. So yes, repealing immediately the Prep Act and the NVIC, the National Vaccine Injury Childhood Injury Act of 1986, is 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 critical. That fixes that one problem, the, 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 the critical and, and, and way that products get become safe and become safer. There is a second, uh, far weaker way that we assure products are safer. And I just <laughs> I, I know this I know this might sound, you know, uh, strange to some, but they are just product. Vaccines are just consumer products. They're not given by Moses at Sinai. They're they have no magical properties they are just products made by companies. And the second and far weaker method of assuring a product safety is regulatory oversight. They can help in some degree. I don't think cars are safer because of the you know, regulatory oversight. I think they're safer because of class action and product liability attorneys and the threat of the lawsuit and financial harm that that could reap on the companies if they have products at harm. But regulatory agencies can have some influence here. We have completely conflicted regulatory agencies overseeing vaccines. The very same department, the United States Department of Health and Human Services, is not only responsible for the safety of vaccines, they are responsible for promoting vaccines. Those are diametrically opposed objectives. When the Department of Transportation was made responsible for promoting transportation, aviation, Congress recognized, whoa, we can't also have them responsible for safety. How do you you know, one day walk to the company and say, hey, let's help promote your product. And the next day go, I'm going to slap you for having an unsafe product. They don't work well. So they created the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board. They decoupled the promotion from the safety function. Same thing, for example, with nuclear energy. The Department of Energy promotes nuclear power plants, and there's a different agency that, that is responsible for safety. When it comes to vaccines, there's no separation. It's the same exact department that's responsible for both, and even worse. And there's no precedent I'm aware of for this anywhere else in the uh, in the government or otherwise. Not only are they conflicted because they're responsible for promoting, which is totally subsumed their safety function. They are literally, if you are injured by a vaccine, you can bring a claim, but it's in a limited program called the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, where you sue, you sue the secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, you are suing the federal health department for the harm. And then they're represented by the Department yes. of Justice to defend against any claim. Think about that. If, if our federal health agencies publish any studies saying a vaccine causes a harm, it is then an admission of interest against them in vaccine court by which liability can then attach. There is no other product where your government, your federal government sits on the side of the company that made, sold, yes. and harmed the people from the product and defends the company and not the individual. But that is the state of affairs. So yes, long way to answer to say, yes, repealing those two laws will go a long way to bringing back the normal market forces and the normal regulatory process that assure a product safety.
because the government is essentially the defendant because that's that's what you're saying vaccines have become it is the defendant yeah the greatest government is. objective product they market it they distribute it they fund it they sell it they do everything and that's how you talk about the betterment of products they could they could sell hemlock as a vaccine and they know that that tomorrow you will have every organ of federal state local government promote it, distribute it, and then every medical association coming up alongside or with them, they're the same thing, promoting yeah. it, every pediatrician mending it. And that's what we know. RSV was the original failed shot. Um, you know, ADE, it's a textbook example of antibody-dependent disease enhancement on the uh, traditional platform, much less the mRNA problem that there's no shutoff. It just codes you to produce an unlimited whatever it's going to produce anywhere. And every pediatrician is going to be like, there's no circumspection. This is awesome. Go get it. So I'm the only one with my hair on fire with this RSV shot. I'm like going crazy over it. I see the genocide coming down the pipeline. This is the worst candidate for a vaccine. Oh, we just killed a bunch of people with mRNA. It doesn't stay in the shoulder muscle. It goes everywhere. Hey, here's an expedited review. I don't see any effort to stop this. So my concern is this. Even short of a mandate, you don't have what they talked about at Nuremberg as an enlightened consent. So I have young kids. Every pediatrician uh, pushes this. Our pediatrician already says, yeah, it's a shame the RSV shot's not out yet. Uh, you know, So even, even without a hard mandate, this is going to go in the arm of every baby. Well, that, that's called good business uh, from the perspective of the pharmaceutical companies. And there's no conspiracy there. Genuinely, what I'm telling you is that there's no conspiracy. There's no there's no tricks. There's no uh, magic mirrors. It's just simply a matter of, of economics and conflicts. You have a product where there is no moneyed interest pushing back because you've neutered the lawyers, like I explained, and you've utterly conflicted the agencies. So you have this multi-billion dollar industry that is turning out billions every year for PR and to promote, and you have uh, uh, billions given to federal health agencies that also have their objectives aligned with the pharmaceutical companies. So, I mean, why wouldn't RSV be thrown onto that platform? That's what made this whole, what happened during the COVID uh, last three years so scary when, you know, they, they succeeded in creating a framework for childhood vaccines to be mandated. Um, and they trying to load as many products on that as possible. Um, and that's why they also relentlessly try to get rid of exemptions in all 50 states. The, 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 you know, the, the ultimate goal, and if you look at, I think if you look at the you know, underlying scratches, again, no conspiracies, look at the um, uh, various uh, white papers and agenda statements that are put out, is to also have mandates extended to, to adults and to have a platform on which they can continue to load more and more mandated vaccines. You see the slowly creeping circles of that. First, they do it in hospitals and hospital employees. Then they were doing school teachers in some states. And they're slowly trying to encroach on different areas of life in the adult sphere so that those can be mandated. But going back to more specifically to your RSV question, let me answer it this way. Daniel, what if I came to you and I said, hey, look, I got a business idea for you, okay? You say, okay, what? We're going to sell widgets. And you're going to say, okay, well, what does it do? Well, we inject it in and it's got all this stuff that's going to create an artificial immune response, even muscle tissue, and it's not the normal way the body gets the, the widget, but 
you know what? It's, it's okay, because don't worry. The federal government said nobody can sue us for harm. You're like, oh, okay. Oh, and, and guess what else? The government's going to then mandate that people get it, so we have a guaranteed market. Oh, that sounds good. Guar- no liability, guaranteed market. Oh, wait, I got one even better. The government's then going to take tax your money and promote the widget for you. Really? Yeah, and they're going to tell everybody it's great, and they're going to be your PR arm, essentially. Wow. And you know what's really amazing? If you get harmed by the widget, They'll even create a release valve by letting you kind of bring a, a claim in this program where the government's actually going to defend a, our product using DOJ attorneys. I mean, who wouldn't look at that from, you know, from the cold, dry calculus of pharmaceutical companies' bottom line and go, oh, forget that idea. I mean, it's, it's, the, most, it's the most incredible business model ever. And when you look since 1986 at the percentage, the revenue and profit, that the pharmaceutical companies engaged in this industry that has uh, been from drugs versus vaccines, you, are, you will see that the percentage attributed to vaccines is, is being, has been steadily growing for, yes. because of precisely the model I just said. Drugs come off the product market all the time. So, yeah, the RSV vaccine, I, I, I get it. Your hair is on fire, and you are one of the few brave journalists out there who is willing to really cover this issue and really try to a uh, 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 pull back the wool on what's occurring. Um, and, and, and that is the main difference between what has happened actually in the last three years and what's happened over the last, you know, 30 years <laughs> since the 86 Act was passed. If I, I, I don't want to... Those one last were the comment. lonely years, the very lonely years. Yeah. I'll make one last comment about this, okay? And, what, and, and, I, and, and this might be why, you know, now there are people like you who are looking at the RSC issue and others, is that COVID vaccine was rolled out and given to almost over 200 million Americans in a very short time period. The issue with that product were therefore pronounced and really hard to miss and ignore. Nonetheless, you see our health authorities in line with their policy objectives, still doing everything humanly possible to claim they're safe and to, and to minimize and to try to cast those issues to the side. And you see many brave doctors, who are yes. highly credentialed, intelligent, articulate, speaking out and saying there are issues. Um, the difference is when you look at all the childhood vaccines, they're not rolled out in 200 million Americans. They're rolled out on a small, narrow cohort of, of children. They're given to that very small group. So like a tiny fraction of Americans are getting it. And 20 years later, you still only have, for many vaccines, only those 20 and under that have received it, right? You're only getting fractional incremental yes. introduction of the product into the population. So if there is a health impact over a 30 year period, it just recedes into the background. It recedes. If COVID-19, yes. It, if COVID, 11% of children in America in 1986 had a chronic health issue, according to the public data, over 50% of, of children in America today have a chronic health issue. I'm not saying vaccines cause all of that. I'm not sure. saying that they, I can't tell you what percentage precisely they attribute to it but but, but here's the but thing most of them yeah Aaron, now that we peeled back the wool and i never studied immunology before now we did with the help of of these brilliant scientists and all information anyone paying attention oh you mean it's not so simple to formulate the right type of antibody response the right class in the right place at the right time you know and not turn off other things and immune suppression auto antibody oh and all these responses we're seeing from this yes there's unique things about the spike protein yes there's unique things about mrna this i think is a straight up poison bioweapon i think it's a special class of its own but we need to peel the wool back on this stuff and now i'm like 
oh, that's why I never heard about it. You know, because I always felt, well, if, if, if what RFK was saying is true, you know, I would know about it. I'm like, oh, no, I wouldn't know about it. Now I understand it. And that's what bothers me. And I don't mean to beat up on him more than other people, but Brad Wenstrup, he's the, you know, the chairman of this coronavirus subcommittee now under oversight. And and he announced he wants this to be like an after action report. What went wrong with our response? Our lockdowns? Like, no, this is a live fire triage. They are shoving this every year now. They're announcing like like the make it like the flu shot. RSV flu, 15 other mRNAs, and yes. How could you emerge from the last few years and not look with circumspection about the rationale, the safety and efficacy of turning every child into a pincushion? I mean, look, Aaron, in our religion, um, it's a religious ceremony. At eight days old, you take a baby and you, you, you circumcise them. There's no questions. That's the religion. So it's become a religion that when you have a baby born, any number of shots and it grows every year whatever Pfizer and Moderna and whatever else they want to do that becomes part of the religion and you don't question it so my question to you is a lot of us are like well so here's my problem long story short as you well know I'm working on a lot of state legislatures and I find to the extent I can even gain any momentum it's with the COVID shots right not with the other ones. So we'll start off a bill saying no mandates in school, at hospitals, elsewhere on all shots, knowing that they're going to have to expend political capital to whittle it down to COVID, and at least we get COVID. But it's a, it's a crying shame that any of this stuff should be mandated. So could you give us a little bit of a synopsis of some of the stuff you've been putting out on some of the other regular childhood shots that we take for granted that this was not the first rodeo for just, uh, you know, working on things on eight blind mice. Yeah, sure. Uh, let's, why don't we start with this notion that COVID vaccine is somehow so different than all other vaccines. Oh, it's in this new mRNA technology. It goes in and it takes over your cellular machinery and it releases the most toxic portion of the, vac- of the, uh, of the virus. mRNA vaccine is not really that different than other vaccines. All vaccines out there have very different technology. The, the, the common denominator amongst the vaccines is that they artificially stimulate the immune system. For example, hepatitis B vaccine is a recombinant DNA vaccine. It is a DNA vaccine. It takes the DNA from the hep B virus, creates, puts it into yeast cells, creates a Frankenstein offensively version of it, and injects it into children. Or look at, for example, uh, a rubella vaccine. It is, they take the virus, they passage it over 40-something times through the cultured cell lines of an abortive fetal tissue to create essentially a Frankenstein version of that virus. They then inject it. And what does that Frankenstein virus do? It takes over the cellular machinery of the baby's cells to replicate itself. Just mm-hmm. like MR- mRNA takes over cellular machinery, this Frankenstein virus does as well. Or how about the diphtheria and toxoid or diphtheria and tetanus vaccines? Those are called toxoid vaccines. Those vaccines have a completely different technology as well. They take the most uh, harmful portions of those bacteria, right? A toxoid released by them. And then they try to deactivate it in formaldehyde. And then, you know, 
sound familiar, the most toxic portion, and they inject it in mass back into the body. Right. So all I'm saying is and that who the hell needs you, a diphtheria it, shot at this point? Anyway? Well, right. I mean, it's, it's like scarlet fever would have gone away if, if you just did nothing. I mean, but, but you know who needs it? Pharma. They're making money from it. But um, the the the, um, the critical point is this. If you're going to start slicing and dicing between the different vaccine technologies, then, uh, you know, they probably could start. Co- I mean, pertussis vaccine doesn't prevent infection and transmission. Tetanus vaccine doesn't prevent infection and transmission. In fact, even the IPV, the current inactivated polio vaccine, doesn't create infect, doesn't prevent infection transmission. Only creates IgG immunity in your blood, not, not in your intestinal tract, not IgA immunity. That's why even that federal health authorities say if there was polio returned, every kid given a shot in America in the last 20 years would they say would have to get an oral polio vaccine, which they say does create some mucosal immunity. But so, so is that not a vaccine? My point is, is that. When you try to slice and dice mRNA vaccine as something totally different, you're ignoring the reality that all vaccines out there actually work on different technologies, uh, and many of them don't prevent infection transmission either. But what they all have in common is that they're typically plunged deep into somebody's muscle tissue, within, uh, putting a formula in their body, in that muscle tissue, which is totally a natural way to, to, to be exposed to ish, you know, immune, most of your immune systems in your intestinal tract and so forth. Anyway, uh, to create an artificial immune response. So let me just start by there and saying, you know, again, the main difference is not that. The main difference is the fact that 200 million Americans got it and not slowly. Now, the other piece of it is this, is that after um, um, you rolled out the mRNA shots um, in the United States, um, people then also said, ah, oh, but it's been rushed. It's been, it's been super rushed, but, <laughs> but, but that's not the case. It's, that's not, e- that's not the case either. Uh, the, the, you know, when you talk about vaccine development, what you look at is how long did it take to put to get the technology to create the vaccine? When it comes to recombinant, like for example, the vaccine, it took 20 years to create that technology. Same thing with the MRNA. They've been creating technology for the mRNA shots for, for over 20 years. First, they had to figure out how to stabilize the actual mRNA. They had to you know, realize they needed a synthetic you know, uridine. And then they realized, well, how do we deliver it? And it took them forever to figure out how to you know, put a lipid nanoparticle. The question is not how long it took the technology. Technically, it took thousands, millions of years for the technology to evolve for all vaccines. The, the question is not that. The question, the critical question is how robust was the clinical trial that assessed its safety and efficacy. How robust was that clinical trial to assure the vaccine as given to humans was safe and effective. Including how long they followed up with those individuals. Well, the the three components of determining whether a clinical trial is, is robust is one, how long is the safety review period? Two, how many people were in the trial, meaning how well-powered was it so you can pick up issues? And three, what did the control group receive? You know, if I take, uh, if I'm going to do an te- experiment to see, well, is this gun safe? And I use a gun in the control group, I use an a-, a bow and arrow, and I, you know, shoot one group, and I put an arrow through the heart of the other group, I can say, oh, look, <laughs> they're equally as safe. I mean, they're equally as dangerous, but they have the same effect. The point is you need a control group that's actually uh, benign, that's not going to have an effect so you can see the differential. So those are the three quotes. When you look at the clinical trials of COVID-19 vaccine, as compared to almost all childhood vaccines, 
They are the most robust clinical trials out there. If you're going to take a vaccine based on a childhood vaccine versus an mRNA vaccine given to adults, you and you want to base it on how long was the safety review, what was, how, how powered was the trial, and what did the control group receive, then you should be taking the mRNA shot over HEPI, IPV, HIB, go down the list of childhood vaccines. I'll give you just one example. And then I'll. Um, but, but what about the I'll control groups? I mean, yeah. I mean, they didn't leave a control group here. You're saying that was true with the other shots? I'm saying here they at least had on average two months of a placebo control group. On average, I'm saying that for all childhood vaccines, for virtually every single one, there was either no control group or the control group received another vaccine or some kind of toxic chemical. Y- yeah, there is no. So you're basically saying we, it's just the difference is we weren't paying attention. I'm saying that the <laughs> harms, I'm saying that for childhood vaccines, for example, the hepatitis B vaccine, which uh, was first released in the late 80s, uh, was licensed. There are two, only two on the market given to babies with Combivax, HB by Americans, and B, and they each respectively were licensed based on only five days or four days of safety monitoring after you shop. Don't take my word for it. Everybody go to the FDA website, search for licensed vaccines. Go to the section of the site for Recombivax HB. That's the first one. Open the package insert. Look at section 6.1. That is where federal law requires the manufacturer and approved by the FDA to summarize the clinical trial relied upon to license that product by the FDA. And you will see that Recombivax HB, hepatitis B given to newborn babies in this country, was licensed by the FDA based on 140, a clinical trial with 147 children that monitors safety for five days, and I see nothing in there to indicate there was a control group. That trial is utterly useless to determine safety, and that product was nonetheless unleashed on millions of babies in this country. But again, not immediately, slowly, over decades, succeeding cohorts of children got that shot. And issues that would arise receded into the background, though I will tell you, there have been many brave scientists and doctors that did come forward about that shot just like you have today about the mRNA vaccine. And those doctors are no less credentialed, intelligent, articulate, sure. probably even braver, who came forward to, tell, to, to try to blow the whistle, and they were sidelined. I know those doctors, and um, the difference is, is that, frankly, the difference between those doctors and the doctors today is there was no Daniel Horowitz, there was no Blaze, there was no Epoch yep. Times, there was no Fox News, there was nobody nobody that would give them any coverage. In all honesty, we would have stayed away from it. I mean, that's, that's the thing. And it, and it just teaches you so much humility that you can't just live life and thinking, oh, I figured everything out. Take everything for granted. Everything needs to start. Every inquiry needs to start from, from the beginning. And, and there should be no sacred cows. I mean, this is why it's just so important. I, you know, all these Republicans say, I'm pro-life, I'm pro-life. But when you look at what we're doing to every baby born and you look at all the problems, again, pre-COVID, but 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 the point I'm trying to make from COVID is there's no excuse anymore. You can't just say, look, I lived life taking this for granted, didn't see anything, didn't, you know, this is what we did. I couldn't think that our government and all the medical profession would poison us. But now that we saw this, where is the humility? Where is the desire to just start from the beginning? But I will tell you politically, because that's where my mind always is, you know, I do think mRNA does give us an opportunity because the public does have that cognitive dissonance in terms of them being different. And 
most of what they do plan on coming down the pipeline because of economic reasons will be an mRNA platform. So I do think if we have an effort to ban mRNA shots, it will take a bite out of what's coming down the pipeline. But, I mean, so what do you recommend? Uh, a commission? I mean, how do you break people into this? Because I think a lot of people are, you know, onto this. But as far as other shots, it's nowhere near a majority. Look, I... I, I I should say that I don't, I don't support banning any shot. I don't support mandating any shot. I support the government just getting out of the business entirely, period. I think that if Americans want to get mRNA shots, they should be free to get 20 of them a day, wear 40 <laughs> masks, live in their basement and never come out because this is America and that is freedom. Sure. And they should have the right to do that. In the same token, I think- Well, I mean, the, ban the, the health issue. department from, from recommending yeah. <laughs> distributing funding. Yeah. They should be out of the business of vaccines. It should be exactly. It should be you want to you want to, you know, when they want to sell a heart medicine, they go and they sell it. Let them go do what they do. Shouldn't be an entire government apparatus behind a a product, essentially. Um, Absolutely. They should be entirely out of the business of it. Because at the end of the day, when you say, well, what should these committees do? Um, My answer to your question is this. They could try to fix. I mean, unless they can repeal the 86 Act and PrEP Act and get rid of this pernicious issue that we discussed earlier of eliminating the market forces and conflicting the health agencies, then really, if they're not going to do that, then, then there's one last stop in the train of horribles that every American and every human being on this planet, they need to have a, a right, an individual civil right that they need to have, which is the ability to say no to any medical product yes. without any coercion or penalty. Because that. You, you know, I sit there and I look at it and I go, oh, my gosh, that clinical trial, that is not sufficient enough. And you look at the post-license related to you go, oh, my goodness, this is this is concerning or, or, or it's or it's or it's vacuous. It's not supporting safety. And I look at the fact that pharma companies can't be sued. And I look at the conflicts the health agency has. And, and, and I look at all of these issues and I'm going, oh, my goodness. And I want to know they can get away with decision. that. And then they do. And they do. But at the end, the last stop in that entire train of horribles has to be the ability to say no. Yes. Because if you cannot say no, then you don't have any other rights. If you cannot say no, then great. You can't get a job. You can't go to school. You can't get on a bus. You can't get on a plane. You can't engage in civil society. So you can stay at home and you can have your freedom of religion by yourself. You can have your freedom of speech talking to yourself. You can have freedom of assembly by yourself. All the rights that you hold dear and near in this country you get to have them in your home by yourself because you will be excluded from civil society. And for that reason, I hope that everybody in this country, whether they love these vaccines or not, whether they love masks, whether they love all kinds of medical interventions, appreciates that at the end of the day, one thing that they should get behind is the right of every American to choose whether or not to engage in these products. Because the day might come while, you know, Person X in the society listening to this uh, call might say, but yeah, but I got no problem with those shots or yeah, maybe you don't, but you let them continue to create this platform in which they can mandate all these products in adults in various forums. There might come a day when there's a product, a medical product that you don't want. And then what are you going to do? Then what are you going to say? Exactly. And now how are you going to fight rack? Cause then it'll be too late. This is a prospective fight. It's not an after-action report. We are in the middle of it. You cannot just walk away from what we've seen, what we've learned. Um, You've learned this a long time ago. Some of us have caught up at least, but you can't just walk away from this. Man, uh, 
I think that sermon was needed. I mean, it really was. I, I so badly don't want to pick at that because it's like we're still trying to wrap our arms around what happened the last couple of years. But this is bad because in most of these states, we don't have an avenue. And, and even if it's not a full mandate, like I said, you can't find a pediatrician for your kid and you can't get them to school. Um, that's a very big problem. And, you know, in the state of Wyoming, we wanted to end that. And we're still struggling to even pass the water down bill, but they made it only COVID. They will not indulge the other shots. And uh, there's a lot of education that needs to be made. But I think this gets back to what we started with. You get rid yeah, of the well, PrEP Act and the 86 Act. And yeah. it's very hard for that. Right. In other words, yeah. let me just end it with this. Aaron, are you saying that? Look, to, to to give over 50 years of material to people and try to convince them that what they're born with, you know, the the their their lying their eyes are lying to them about everything they've been told is hard, but mechanistically you get rid of that liability exemption and the market won't sustain this anymore. Yeah. I'm saying that if they open their eyes just a little bit more, they don't actually have to sit they don't have to have such cognitive dissonance and say, oh my gosh, this is, I can't believe the world is upside down. If they open their eyes just a bit wider and look at this from just a little bit of a broader lens, people already understand that companies are there to make money. People understand they're there to promote their product and make everybody think their product is amazing. And they understand that when you have an issue, who do you call a lawyer? And that if you can't call a lawyer, the company just gets to run amok. And they understand too that they, they also look at health agencies or, or the eight government regulatory agencies to protect them, but that doesn't exist here. When you open your eyes just wide enough to see that, you can understand there's no grand conspiracy here. This is just a product in a regulatory and economic environment run amok. And that at the end of the day, yes, if you get rid of those things, you can fix the problem. Um, but but that you know, if you can't get rid of the of, of the immunity. At the least, you should uh, you should decide, and you may still decide you want to give your kid all the shots. Great, that, that's what you want to do. Again, that's freedom, but that you should you should respect everybody's right to say no. They don't want to based on exactly. what they've learned, what they've looked at. That's it. And I, I'll, I'll, if I can end with one last point, and that's this: you know, this idea that there's been vaccine mandates for forever is really a misnomer. Mm. All fifty states have vaccine requirements for school. But virtually every state up until about 1990, until about 2014, every state except for two, Mississippi and West Virginia, had religious and philosophical exemptions. Mm. Check the box, basically. So the really a mandate with, with a check the box exemption is a not is a non mandate. So really, it's only it, it started in 2014. California got rid of its non medical exemptions followed by New York and then uh, two other states. So there are only six states in America today where you cannot just essentially check the box to have an exemption to send your kids to school. Meaning, that, you know, this notion of, well, we've been mandating vaccines forever, it's misplaced. We really, yeah, there have been requirements for school, but there was an easy check the box way out. It really yeah. has only been in the last few years that that exemption, that excuse me, that mandate have permeated so far and wide and exemptions have tried to be narrowed. I mean, we've got you know, numerous people are from all they do is work on exemptions. That's all they do. And, you know, we are very successful at it, but it has become a tougher and tougher landscape 
in which to get an exemption. And so, you know, this slow creep, they said, well, we're just naturally extending what we've always done is not the case. This is an entirely new infrastructure that they're that is attempting to be put in place to mandate products on Americans. And it's all again, it's all great and good if, when you when you're happy to take those products, but the day comes you don't want them. You're going to wish you, you, you stood up and you said no. Yep. And you stuck to the principles of individual and uh, uh, freedom um, earlier on. And, and I think that's what the COVID shots have done. It, it, it tilted that axis too quickly that now people have realized it. But the question is what we do with it. You can't walk away from it. Now we have to go all out on medical freedom, which is what we're trying to do in all of our states. Um, and, and you've certainly been, been a big help. I know a lot of people are going to have questions for you. So, folks, you can email me, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com if you have a question for Aaron, and I'll pass it on. Also, Aaron Siri SG on Twitter and his Substack. Aaron, thanks for that riveting presentation. Looking forward to having you back again. Thank you. Take care. So, folks, I was really planning on getting to some other news of the day. I'm going to have to push that off till tomorrow because we're way over time, but I, I think that was worth it. This is a guy who was in the trenches before it was cool. You know, I always say all these people latching on now, but only half-heartedly, and I was there from the beginning. Well, I was there from the beginning of COVID, but, you know, kudos to people like him who were there when it was, wasn't was even that degree of coolness. Uh, for many, many years, he's been fighting this alone and we, you know, a lot of us thought they were lunatics, but no, we were the lunatics for closing our eyes to this. And I, I still don't know exactly how I feel. You know, he's almost making it like it's like no difference. Um, I still do believe these things are much, much worse, but it doesn't mean that the other ones aren't really bad too, or potentially really bad or unnecessary. Screw with your immune system. And after everything we have learned from all these studies, it doesn't take much of an imagination to understand how these other shots would spawn immune misfiring, immune suppression, immune imprinting, and certainly autoimmune diseases. And why are we even doing this? The point is, if it's safe and effective, take on liability. Prep, prep, prep Act and 1986 Act, those are the two most important things to repeal um, this is not an after-action re report. This is a live-fire Fallujah battle, battle, a Fallujah-style firefight that we are in middle of, and you have to come in and join the fight, not as some stupid after-action report on lockdowns. This is much broader. All COVID shots need to be taken out. All mRNA shots need to be taken out. And I, I agree. He's saying, look, you want to take it, go take it. But I mean that the government cannot support it in any way. Uh, then it will fall by the wayside. And, and yeah, we need to look into other shots as well. But I think the best way of doing that is just saying we're going to take away all uh, immunity. That is the single biggest pro-life legislation you could ever put out. Take that to the bank, folks. We're out of time till tomorrow. God bless y'all. And thank you for listening.